Here we go. Let's call this take two. No life to lock No life to Welcome to No Life Till Lager, a show about lager beer, the brewers that make it, and we that drink it. This is a conversation between two people over one or two pints. My name is Adam Zuniga. I'm an advanced Cicerone. I'm part of the creative team behind the Six Most Metal Breweries and Beer Like and Das Movie. Today, my guest is the mighty Lee Lord, brewmaster at Narragansett Beer. That is in Providence, Rhode Island. Cheers and welcome and hi, neighbor. Hello, Lee Lord. Hey, <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining the No Life Till Lager podcast. I will say this again. It's good to meet you in person. I feel like we've been at the same time, in the same place, multiple times over, but never actually met. So I'm so glad to know you in the here and now. Likewise. Cheers and thank you again. I am drinking Narragansett Bohemian Pilsner at 5.2% alcohol. Lee, I have a feeling you are drinking the same, but tell us about the beer in your hand. I sure am. So uh, Bohemian Pilsner uh, is one of our longtime brewed Narragansett lagers. It was the first beer we brewed here at the Providence facility when we opened two years ago. And it's our best-selling beer here now. Mm. What makes it a Bohemian Pilsner Narragansett style? Are you using traditional Czech hops? Is it the yeast? Is it we the sure. water profile? Tell us some of your secrets. It's, I mean, we use Providence water. Uh, we triple filter it down to nothing and then back at it to get the water profile of Pilsen. Um, and we use all Czech sauce hops in this and then locally malted uh, German Pilsner base for this from a great malt house called Stone Paths. Wow. It is a beautiful, beautiful beer. So thank you again for sharing. And everyone knows the Narragansett flagship lager, but the interest I've already gotten on social media just from seeing the Bohemian Pills out in the world, uh, I will say I think a lot of people want Narragansett on the West Coast. And I think a lot of people want this Bohemian Pilsner far and wide. So I am lucky to have it. Um, let's do this. Let's go back to the very beginning. If you could tell us what, what your first lager beer was and how life and beer began. So my first lager beer was, uh, Victory Prima Pills, which is again, probably my desert Island beer. That beer, just the floral notes, the slight maltiness, everything plays so well together in that beer. And that's one of the first beers that really made me sit up and go, Wow. Amazing. And how did life in beer began? Otherwise, how did you get further into beer and into brewing uh, from Prima Pills? So my friends and I all went in together. We bought a uh, BrewMagic homebrew system. So we just started experimenting. And then we had these friendship challenges where we were tasked with finding a particular style of beer and each bringing a representation of that style. And we fill out tasting notes and have these dinner parties around it. So really like a lot of other brewers, I began homebrewing and just licking around with my friends. Nice. Nice. So from homebrewing, uh, from fan to amateur to professional, take us along that journey. What else guided you along the way? Getting waitlisted for nursing school definitely helped. It was like, oh. I, 
And so I found my local little brew pub and I walked in and I asked if I could help and they threw me a mop and they were like, all right, start helping. We're not going to pay you, but you can help. <laughs> oh. Yeah, that was Watch City Brewing, uh, now defunct 14-barrel brew pub outside of Boston. And bringing us up to yeah. present day, kind of tell us how you ultimately connected with uh, Narragansett Beer. Tell us a little bit about who is Narragansett as a brewery. Is it craft or contract? Is it micro or macro? Is it regional? Is it historical? Is it all the above? It's all of the above. And honestly, it's all the above. And honestly, do any of... Do any of these words, do any of these terms even like really matter to you anymore? Tell Absolutely. us. Absolutely. I mean, they all matter. Yeah. So, and so Gansett Lager and the Del Shandy is all contracted up in Genesee in Rochester, New York. Uh, but when our president, Mark Hellendrung, bought this company 17 years ago, his goal was always to bring the Narragansett Brewery back to Rhode Island. Uh, the Rhode Island plant had closed in the 80s. Um, and since then we were contracting everything. So two years ago, we opened this 20 barrel brew pub here in Providence and I get to spearhead sort of the craft factor of that. Amazing. So fair to say that you are the brewmaster. Would you call it like a pilot facility or is it bigger than that? Like it's a full scale brewing operation in Providence. It's, it's a giant pilot facility. Yeah. <laughs> a giant yeah. R&D facility, I would call it. 20 barrels is, is a little big for that, but I love it. <laughs> 20 barrels is definitely on scale with the brew house, I think, at, at many, if not most, craft breweries. Yeah, you're right. That is a big pilot facility. And the flagship lager basically comes from the same home as Ginny Cream Ale at this point. Is that the, the right way to think of it? Yep. Yeah. I think my first Narragansett, it, it was not like the classic lager. It was actually like an HP Lovecraft inspired collaboration beer. I think it was an HP Lovecraft honey ale, like in homage to his, I think you all share the same year of birth, basically 1890. Yeah, right? and he, he's a Providence local. And that was my introduction to Narragansett. And then the classic lager and everything else came soon after. So how many loggers do you have on tap at any given moment uh, there at the Providence Brewery, and how are they different? So we always have the Bohemian Pills. We have a Luker tap for that. We serve it in dimple mugs, nice big head. That's pretty much our flagship here at the Providence Brewery, and I always love to have one or two more. So we did, uh, this past summer, we did a Bermuda Pills, which we brewed with fresh lemon in the Whirlpool and then dry hops with a little bit of tropical New Zealand hops. Uh, now that we're getting into fest season, we're going to be getting way more traditional. Uh, we have a fest beer lagering way in our tank right now. I love brewing dark lagers. I love traveling and using ingredients that I discover through that. So we did an Argentinian lager with some of some hops grown in Patagonia. Um, but really, you know, I use lagers as an excuse to pay homage to traditional brewing techniques and ingredients. So I try to do that as much as possible because you, when you get into things like sours and hazy IPAs and things like that. It's it's utilizing all the newest science and sort of bioengineered yeast and things like that. But lagers is really a traditional practice, which I really enjoy. I'm a big history nerd. 
So I love paying homage to, you know, historical brewing techniques and traditional brewing techniques. And I really try and honor lagers the most through that. Very well said. Tell us more about um, traditional techniques. Tell us about your approach to lagering at Narragansett, specifically on the system you work with. So the brew house I have now is by far the most technologically advanced brew house I've ever brewed on. You know, at Watch City and Cambridge Brewing Company, we're brewing amazing beers, but on this very, very archaic, like early 90s, two-vessel brewing system. So we didn't have the ability to decoct. We didn't have the ability to step mash. All these tiny little touches uh, that really make a difference, especially with the delicacy of a lager. So with this system now, I'm really able to get into the nitty gritty. I can finely tune, uh, you know, enzyme rests in in my mash. And uh, we have two horizontal lagering tanks here, which I've also never had the pleasure to work with that we can mature beer in for as long as I can. <laughs> Always wanted to ask this. So horizontal lagering tanks, does it does it make a difference? Like so everyone recognizes like the modern vertical conical tanks. Horizontal lagering tanks, is it just kind of retro kind of nostalgia or does it legitimately make a difference in the finished beer? Oh, it's absolutely science based, you know, uh it gives the liquid way more surface area on the yeast, uh, which is pretty much the idea of the lagering process. You know, you, you let that beer sit cold on the yeast and the yeast cleans it up, matures it, gets rid of any off flavors and any sulfur, residual sulfurs, things like that. Um, they're designed to do exactly what they do best. I see. Okay, so it's not just that they look cool. Like you can argue the lager beer stays like in contact with more of the beer basically stays in contact with more of the yeast over a longer period of time to clean itself up and finish out. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, so which style of lager is your favorite to brew or drink? I know they're all your children, but if you were going to pick one, what would you say? Oh, I want to say fest beer, but my thing during fest season is I drink so much fest beer that I don't want it to touch my lips again for a whole nother year. Um, so I'm, <laughs> I'm going to have to go with the Bohemian Pills on this. Although Hellas, Hellas is a top contender as well. Yeah, well, I hope to try the Hellas at some point and still very much enjoying the Bohemian Pills. Um, here's a question, and we ask this every episode, but I think it's even more important here just because Narragansett has so much history dating back to 1890. But why does lager matter uh, to the past, to the present, to the future of the beer industry? Why does lager matter? Don't tell the English I'm saying this, but I think lager brewing really kicked off the, uh, the commercial brewing industry here in the United States. We had immigrants coming over from Europe, bringing these techniques with them, working with what they could find here in the States, be that American hops or adjuncts or things like that. But it really shaped the foundation of the beer industry in the U.S., if not the whole world. Um, that and I think since 
IPAs, especially New England IPAs and things like that have been so much on the forefront now that people are getting a little bit burnt out by those, um, you know, and there, there's so much shelf competition. Everybody has two or three or four on tap uh, in their tap room. So the way now that breweries are looking ahead to the future is lagers. Yet we're seeing a huge resurgence of just appreciation for the smile and for really nice, clean, well-made lagers, which is so refreshing to see. Way of the future. I think it's worth mentioning Anchor Brewing here as well, because kind of a, a comrade in arms, right? They started 1896 or so, and like Narragansett, even though maybe changing hands a few times over, surviving multiple world wars, surviving uh, even worse, maybe prohibition. Um, but Narragansett is, of course, still standing and thriving. Uh, Anchor, we see their pending closure kind of on the books. And I know Narragansett started a petition uh, to save Anchor. Can you tell us maybe like what's the goal of that petition? Is it just to uh, to raise public awareness to keep Anchor Steam steaming? Or is there any kind of... Um, like plan or action behind it? That's a good question. I was uh, away getting married when that petition came out. So I thought, wait, are we buying her? Like, shit. I think that was mostly to gain awareness, um, gain interest, and just get it out there. You know, the, the brewery that came back from the dark um, and seeing if we could sort of spearhead some movement to save this other really iconic American craft brewery. As far as I know, and I just make the beer here, so I don't know a lot. <laughs> um, we have no plans to be involved with whatever happens with Anchor's future, but I can't I can't speak to that for certain. Sure. I mean, what a gesture again, just to circulate and start a petition. Um, and hey, like Narragansett is a comeback kid. Anchor may very well be a comeback kid again. I mean, yeah, these beers are important. We talked to Tim from Burial in our last episode, and he said again, like, Yes, yeah, support your local brewery, but support your favorite brewery, support your favorite beer. Don't assume it's always going to be there. I think up until a month ago, everyone assumed Anchor Steam would always be available, but then they cut national distribution. <laughs> and sure enough, now we hear that the brewery may be pending closure. Um, so here's to a good comeback story. And I agree with what you say. I mean, obviously I'm biased, but about lager being important just to the future of the beer industry. But lager, lager has an elegance. It has a maturity. It's a little more grown up. And now we have such amazing stewards for lagers like Bierstadt and Notch and things like that that are really pushing it forward into the future and making people gain so much appreciation for these very simple and very well-crafted, well, I say simple palette-wise, but I mean, the brewing is amazingly intricate and they're shedding light on this. So I think just the quality of craft slaughters out there is helping steward it into the future as well. Thinking visually, you know, if we were to film an episode of No Life to Lager uh, in Providence, take us outside of the brewery for a moment. Um, what else is there to see and do? Tell us kind of some of your favorite activities, pastimes, favorite places to eat, favorite pubs to drink. Uh, take us on a tour of Providence. Oh, man. Well, welcome to the Ocean State. We have plenty of that and our seafood can't be beat. I would definitely take you to uh, Dune Brothers, which is our local uh, probably most famous seafood restaurant here in Providence. There are lobster rolls, there are clam cakes, there's stuffies. 
which is for those of you who aren't from Rhode Island, a stuffy is a clamshell stuffed with clam stuffing. We have really weird regional foods here, but that's like our big one. So much so that they're making a giant inflatable stuffy to put in the Warwick airport. <laughs> and they serve Gans at, at Dune Brothers and it's, it's just gorgeous. It's right on the water, right off this gorgeous bridge and park. Um, so that would be my first stop. My second stop, obviously, would be the beach. Um, and then we'd probably head over to Aquidneck Island for some Newport Polo. Oh, <laughs> I have, I think I've seen you playing polo on the interwebs. Um, yeah, I love. Okay, so a Gansett with a stuffy, a Gansett on the beach, and then a Gansett playing polo. Does that sound about right? Oh yes. And then and then we're gonna go to my favorite. I call it a dive bar. It's this like punk rock, dark, craggy bar, which has one of the best tap selections in the city. Uh, Gansett is represented on numerous sticks over there, but he's called the scurvy dog and it's just kind of gritty and punk rock and yeah, <laughs> it's a good place to mix with some super friendly, but very leather clad and studded locals. Ah, uh, uh, we feel very much at home in punk bars and metal bars. You mentioned punk a couple times. So do you kind of bring that ethic to your work? Does punk music inspire you as a brewer? Absolutely. I think there's so much that's, and and real punks are going to shit all over me for this, but I think there's so much that's punk rock about craft beer. You know, it's, it's going against the big guys, sort of like record labels back in the 90s. Yes, I heard that. <laughs> you know, yeah, but but there's definitely a punk rock edge to craft beer. You know, singing to the man, like sticking with an image. Fucking having fun and kind of thumbing your nose at authority. Yeah, which something that really appealed to Gansett for me when I got a job offer here. It was like, you know what? I don't think I've ever seen anybody drink a fucking Gansett while they're frowning. Everybody's got a smile on their face, which is really important to me. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, beer should make people happy. Beer is best shared. And beer needs an appropriate soundtrack. So I think you're absolutely right. The craft beer is punk rock in its origins and remains so. There is still like a healthy amount of, there's a healthy dose of rebellion in it, rightfully so. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. And, and to clarify, I'm way more of a black metal head than I am a punk rocker. So I kind <laughs> I feel like Chozer, because my, my husband is huge into punk and he'd be like, you don't know what you're talking about. That's not funny. I just put knees, but yeah. No wonder we have so many people and places in common then. I'm I'm pretty sure we've been at St. St. Vitus Bar in Brooklyn. Uh, same time, same place at the same moment, uh, maybe multiple times over. Um, and yeah, a lot of mutual friends. Uh, you know who you are, so shout out if you're listening. Um, talking about punk, talking about polo, there's something else I have to ask you because I've never I've never met anyone who who participates in historical reenactments, which, ah. which I, which I think you do, right? Oh, like you're an, much. you're an, you're an <laughs> avid participant in historical reenactments. So I just want to know more about what that is like, like as a lifestyle, I want to know how it works. And I want to know just for the sake of this show, tell us which logger pairs best with just say winning the American revolution or just for example, whatever you want to cite, whatever you want to pair it with, but tell us what it's like to, uh, to to engage in battle or whatever else. Ha! <laughs> so I grew up in Lexington, Massachusetts, which is where the Revolutionary War started. So I've been going to reenactment since I was, you know, three feet tall. Uh, 
<laughs> and and what first got me into it was the horses, but also the guys look really handsome in those tricorn hats. <laughs> and <laughs> they're red jackets. Um, it's a look for sure. For sure. And and when I talk about this with my friends and colleagues, I call it extreme historical battle camping because we sleep outside under the elements uh, with our company cask of beer. Um, and yeah, we just live in the past for weekends at a time. It's awesome and, and sometimes very hot. <laughs> so, I mean, is there a rule book? Is there a play-by-play? Like, are you actually trying to follow kind of what happened, uh, like, historically? Or is it kind of like, uh, I mean, to me, it's almost, it kind of looks like being a goth. Like, it takes work, right? It takes work. It takes commitment. Oh, for sure. Nothing in the 18th century. I mean, sewing machines were didn't exist. So we have to hand sew all of our outfits. I can't sew for shit. So I didn't buy mine secondhand from the seamstress Colonial Williamsburg. Um, but it's completely immersive, you know, and you can sort of take it as as far as you want, but the unit I belong to now, which is a British unit, so we're on the losing side of history. Um, we try to be as 100% authentic as possible. And for sake of argument, what lager pairs best with that victory? What would you drink after winning the American Revolution? I'm gonna go for something a little bit more malt forward. I would say a Vienna lager. That, I mean, sounds delicious and makes good sense. I feel like they probably all would have been drinking porter at the time. Um, yeah. Oh my God. I've tried to recreate some of the recipes back then. And especially with the U.S. regiments. I mean, it was, it was mostly all ales back then, but it's like, rub these like pine twigs in and everything's bread infected and whatever. Jefferson, Washington, uh, a good number of our founding fathers actually have a really good beer recipes that they wrote. But I, th- I think beer today is way better. <laughs> It's good you can enjoy the fruits of your labor today um, after <laughs> after engaging in historical reenactment, after engaging in battle. I'm with you. I think a Porter, uh, George Washington's recipe or otherwise, it would be a little hard after uh, wearing the wig and the, <laughs> and the jacket you described, you know, for a hot weekend in New England. So, yeah, here's to a yeah. Vienna lager at the end of the American Revolution. And what a lifestyle. That's really incredible. So thank you for sharing. Um, and I just want to know, do you have anything else to say for beer drinkers out there? Uh, past, present, and future, talking about Narragansett. And then how do they follow you? How do they see what is next for Narragansett beer? So I'm going to shamelessly plug a collab I just did. This was an absolute dream come true. But I was invited up to uh, Von Trapp Brewery up in Stowe, Vermont, um, because... Both Narragansett and Von Trapp, we do a Mersin for our our Oktoberfest lager. And we were like, you know what? What if we joined forces and did a straight up fest beer? Like, let's try it. And I I just can't say enough good things about those guys up there. They're so humble and so smart. And they make some of the best lagers this side of Europe. So this is my my shameless plug to my friends up at Von Trapp. Um, go try our collab um yeah other than that um happy shark week (laughs) 
Oh, we should have started with that. that Happy Shark Week. And yeah, we'd be remiss if we did not mention Jaws, the famous scene with Captain Quint crushing a can of Narragansett. So, okay, was that product placement or did uh, did Spielberg and team just want like a local beer for that scene? Do you know? That was Robert Shaw. Robert Shaw went onto the fishing docks in Menemsha on Martha's Vineyard when they were shooting this movie and he asked the fishermen what they were drinking and they all said Gansett. It and he was like, All right, that's what I'm drinking in this film. That is an iconic moment for sure. Yeah, I love it. I mean, that movie is kind of the whole reason I worked for Gansett now. Um, I was working at Cambridge Brewing Company and I got a call from Mark Hellendrung, the president of Narragansett, and he was like, Hey, I hear you live in Providence and you're obsessed with the movie Jaws. You want to come read that I'm building? And I was like, I mean, yes. I'm, I'm down for a second. Yes. <laughs> Meant to be. I, you know, Cambridge Brewing, I think um, I always knew you and Cambridge for your Heather Ale that came once a year. Correct. Yes, yeah. So, so your reputation, your history with ales precedes you. I mean, I'm glad that Jaws ultimately led you to Narragansett Brewing. There's no accidents. But what a what a life in beer. What a history and craft, Lee Lord. Thank you. Yeah, I agree. Sometimes I'd have to pinch myself. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for sharing your story with us. Um, anything you want to say to beer drinkers out there? Uh, drink with a smile on your face. The best beer is the one in front of you. <laughs> so enjoy it. Thank you. Thank you, Lee Lord. Thank you, Narragansett Beer. Thank you to our producers, Jeremy Batchelor, Tom Starkweather, and Derek Ingber. Thank you to Bohemian Pills and Classic Gansett Flagship Lager. So if you like what you heard, subscribe to No Life to Lager, follow us on social media, help us hit the road and make a better kind of beer show. As we get to where we're going, I will say good night and good lager. Cheers and thank you, Lee. Thank you so much. This is such an honor. Happy Shark Week. No!